Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on? Not much. Also here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's up? Yo, yo. Uh, today on the show, fellas, we have the Sheepdogs. Sheepdoggy dog. That's right. So uh, we're going to begin to them in a bit. <laughs> That's what they initially went by, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They're going to be on in a bit after we do a little bit of chatting. Uh, but before we get to them, guys, what's been going on? We kind of, I feel like we released the live show episode with Catherine Wright. Yeah. Best show ever, man. Best show. <laughs> and we're going to keep talking about it. So we haven't recorded. Or did we record last week? No, we didn't, no we didn't record last week. Okay, so we've had a bit of time away. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, you know, we have a big week of interviews ahead of us. It's, I, it's a busy I don't want to give week. any secrets away, but I forgot that we were recording tonight. So, <laughs> uh, it is a Monday night. It's a Monday night. At court, we were supposed to meet at 6 o'clock to record. And this yeah. is the only one I've ever really needed you to be on time for. I know. And what happened was I was literally like around the building. I was, you know, 50 meters away at like 5 o'clock. <laughs> And then I went up and I was going to make dinner for Lauren and I was making dinner. And then I got the text from you saying, are we pot? I was like, ah, shit. But then I know I was going to be back here tomorrow at lunch. And I know you guys work in the building. So I said, I'll just do it tomorrow at lunch, hoping it'd be okay. Shane would be able to go home. But then, as we'll find out in the dessert, we had some guests here. That was a bit of a surprise for me. As a tease for your listeners and sort of a peek behind the curtain, today we recorded the dessert before we recorded the open. Were you surprised, Max? I was surprised. Uh, it was good though. It all it all worked out, I think. So I, anyway, I, I uh, called an Uber, and uh, the woman who picked me up in the Uber, she was kind of the sort of thick rim glasses, maybe like in her late fifties. And I was on the phone with Manager Ash. Described that way, but no. <laughs> and um, nothing, Shane. No, that was good. I'm uh, smiling. You're still thinking about your dessert. That's yeah. funny. I um, and so I was talking to Manager Ash on the phone. I was like, oh, I forgot to go to do the podcast or whatever. And then I got off the phone. And she goes, so what's your podcast about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Uber driver asked? Yeah, the Uber driver. And she, I was like, and then she's, uh, it's a pretty simple route to get down here from Lauren's house. And then she started taking side streets, which she did not need to do. Oh, and to prolong the conversation? I don't know to prolong the conversation. She just like thought she knew better, but it was definitely way slower. And she had like a pen and a paper out that she was like writing on oh, as she no. was driving. And so she's like, so what's your show like? I was like, uh, you know, pop culture. She's like, you guys talking about the Kardashians? <laughs> I was like, no. And uh, she's like, so what do you guys like? I was like, oh, we, you know, there's some, you know, we talking about current events and movies and stuff. She's like, oh, so like Howard Stern, huh? I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, well, we're not quite as crass as Howard Stern, I don't think. Wait for the dessert. Yeah, wait for the dessert. <laughs> like that. And then she was like, huh, I, I live with the New Yorker, you know. I'm used to those New Yorkers and the way they talk. I was like, okay. She's like, yeah, I used to sell antiques on Park Avenue. I was like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? And um, and then I was like, so I talked to her about the pod a little bit. I was like, so you must listen to podcasts because she seemed to be kind of well-versed in how they work. She's like, huh, no, I don't listen to any radio. I live with the New Yorker. <laughs> she kept on saying what does this. What that mean? I don't know. Yeah. And then I was like, what does your uh, partner do? She's like, oh, you know, this and that. You know how New Yorkers are. <laughs> It's so bizarre. Anyway, would, we, I got here. Would you give her a rating wise? I'd give her a five. No tip though. What would an Uber driver have to do for you to give them a poor rating? Good question. This is actually sort of a moral argument I've I've actually had with Lauren. Maybe listeners can give some feedback. I'd love to know what you guys think. Yeah. It's because on one hand, people, you know, should be, you know, judged for their work and their professional service. And if they do a bad job, Maybe you give them a three or a four or two or whatever. But 
then I feel bad because I'm like, who, uh, you know, it's like this person is driving a car and it's, it's a tough job and it's probably not what they'd like to be doing. I get to do whatever I want basically all day long. And for me, <laughs> it's true. Um, and for me to sort of punish them if they, you know, annoyed me a little bit isn't, I don't know if that's the right thing to do either. So I, I'm inclined just to give fives across the board. What do you, what do you guys think? I, I give a five. It would have to be so incredibly terrible for me to not just give a five out of sort of. Yeah. I had a driver once who was clearly on cocaine and had the farts. (laughs) You know, that happens, Max. That's why you laugh. Um, (laughs) But, uh, and they went the wrong way down a one-way street. And I told them to stop and they wouldn't stop. They slowed down and I had to jump out of the moving vehicle. Whoa. Yeah. That's a one star. Yeah, I still gave him two, though. It was a, it was a woman, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Huh. And she kept trying to give me uh, uh, Halloween candy. <laughs> so, like, you know how they leave, like, uh, mints or... Sure. Are like, you sure charges? you were in an Uber and we're just kidnapped? <laughs> <laughs> no, For but, Shane? Yeah, get in. <laughs> but that's the only time I've given less than uh, less five. Less than five, yeah. And... Uh, I, I, do, I don't really tip, though. I, I tipped once or twice. Do you yeah. ever do that? I'll tip occasionally if, 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 if the conversation's really good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've tipped, but on someone like I really like. So, like I said, we're recording. It's a Monday. Uh, the Super Bowl just happened yesterday. Yeah. Do you guys all watch it? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. We, we have- not watch it together in a party. We've done this traditionally, but everybody sort of, I just watched it with Danica. By my, like, there, the I was back in Hamilton, and I watched it with all the champagne boys. I saw your Insta stories. You were at your parents' house? It was uh, my stepdad Brad's uh, birthday. Ah. Uh, Pod listeners might remember him as the man who attacked me uh, (laughs) on Halloween. But, yeah, he's a nice guy when he's not drinking. And uh, we (laughs) Five-star review. (laughs) Yeah, he gets a five-star. And, uh, yeah, it was was a good game, I thought. I don't normally watch football, so I was It was an awesome game. Yeah. Uh, And not to make this all about myself... But yes, we do need to talk about this. It was kind of crazy. So we're watching the game and everyone's having a good time. We ordered a bunch of pizza, drinking beer and chicken wings, all that stuff. You know, going going to break. We hear knocking at the door in the bumper. You know, are you happy or pissed that you don't get money for that? No. So I think the way these deals work, it's like um, we've licensed songs to NBC Sports before. So I'm sure like part of the license is like we can play the song at this rate for any one of our NBC Sports events. And we, we won't tell you about it, but when it happens, then we'll pay you. I remember seeing it in the U.S. Open. Yeah, and that's and NBC Danica Sports. And and I were like, is that knocking yeah. at the door in the U.S. Open? And then I texted you, that one you didn't know about. You're like, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, was, but we had no idea about this one. And it was just kind of wild because it happened, and then everybody just like looked at me in the room. I was like, what the fuck? And, um, and then my phone started blowing up within like literally, you know, a minute. I had like 15 people texting me and all over Twitter and Instagram. So people are very excited about it. Yeah. So for our listeners, although if you're listening to this you and we're watching the Super Bowl, you probably were because you also Instagrammed it. Mm-hmm. Like as Al Michaels and Chris Collingsworth were like throwing a commercial, the American broadcast, knocking at the door, it comes up and it's on. Like, so, you know, however many millions and millions of people watch the Super Bowl in America, they all heard your song yeah. as it was going to break. It's the most uh, watched event of the year, probably. That's got to be a cool way for you to discover it's on that you oh, didn't yeah. know. It was it was a thrill, and then for the next like forty five minutes, I wasn't watching the game. I was just on my phone retweeting stuff. Just <laughs> playing the song on repeat. Yeah, I was like, "That's a great song." <laughs> was were you with the rest of the band too? I was. With, Mike was there. Nice. Was yeah. he amped? Yeah, Mike was just generally like, Whoa. he was kind of stunned. But it, as as was I. Have you noticed a peak in sales since? Uh, no, I haven't checked. That was yeah, like twenty four hours ago. Congrats though. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it was cool. Are the are the rates good? 
Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I think they're fine. <laughs> hey, millions of people heard this on. Yeah, I did. Like, a lot of people were concerned because I was like, news to us. That was like my caption on Instagram and whatever. And uh, people were like, yo, you got to get paid, man. <laughs> they were like, really standing up. But I liked it. But like, Canadians really get happy if it's on the American broadcast. Yeah. Because it's one thing to be played on CBC or, you know, Hockey Night in Canada or whatever. Or CTV. Or CTV, sorry. But, uh, but when it's on the American broadcast, then it's uh, an even bigger deal. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty, like we said, a pretty crazy game. The Eagles won. Were either of you going for the uh, Patriots? I always go for the underdog. I was kind of going for the Pats just because I love, I know, I don't know why, because I like the underdog too. But in this game though, like, uh, you know, I love the city of Philadelphia. They have, they've never won. Yeah. They seem like nice people from the riot footage. (laughs) 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 They all had smiles on their faces as they were flipping the car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you saw the the thing, them jumping off the Ritz call. That was amazing. Yeah. Did anybody get hurt there? Yeah. Someone had to have been killed. That looked, I hated the riot footage. I hate that stuff. Did you see the guy at the Ritz-Carlton, though? Yeah, doing backflips. Yeah, that He could have killed himself, though. True. And somebody else, when he just felt he stage dove into the crowd, you know, yeah. 12 feet below. These people are out of yeah. their mind. What's going to happen when the Leafs win the Cup, if that ever happens? That's exactly what I said mm-hmm. to Shane this morning. I was well, like, when Vancouver did it, they went nuts, too. Yeah, oh yeah, that was ugly. I was like, what's this city going to react like? Because like, you'd like to think that it's like, mm-hmm. no, we're above that as a city, but I don't know. Well, we remember are. the G20 Summit or whatever it's called? What was yeah. that called? Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. G20. Uh, that G7 was horrible. But the thing about that is they're protesting, you know, inequality and mistreatment of people all around the and world. And government policies and, government, and all that. you got to be nice. No, no, no. I'm, I, I'd agree that generally speaking. <laughs> be peace, nice. Peace, no, peaceful <laughs> protest is too. probably the answer. But I, all I'm saying is that the difference there is that they're fired up because of the, uh, you know, injustice happening around the world. Mm-hmm. The rioting that happened in Philadelphia because everyone's just like drunk on a Super Bowl championship. So the context is a little different. I think that the rioters too with most cities, what happens is there's this small group, a small percentage of opportunists yeah. that go in the chaos, we're going to go out and commit crime. They don't care about the sport or the community. It's just like, I'm not going to get caught in the chaos. Yeah, it's like a yeah. purge, you know? It's exactly. like this is the night where we can do whatever we want. And- it's devil's night for that small, like if it's 5% of the crowd or whatever, that seems even high, uh-huh. but you know. It only takes a couple bad actors to flip a car. It's true. But uh, you, what are you going to say about the quarterback? Oh, so Nick Foles is his name, right? Or is it Mick? It's Nick. I think it's Nick. I'm a huge football fan, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the quarterback of the Eagles after he won. So this guy sort of had this interesting story where he was a backup quarterback. Ad nauseum, they've talked about how he was going to quit. And then he sort of was like, I'll give it one more shot. Now this guy has won a Super Bowl. He's sort of the... Never have to buy a beer in, the, in town again. Exactly. He's at the top of the hill, uh, you know, the highest achievement you can get in your field. And I, I guess afterward, a lot of people have been saying that, like, his sort of... What he said in his post game was a lot about the idea of not being afraid to fail, which we've heard a lot, you know. Um, but he talked about how sort of... I guess, poisonous social media can be. Like Mm -hmm. Instagram and Facebook. He's like, what you're seeing is the highlights of people's lives. He's like, and all it does is make people feel bad. He's like, so it's like, if I'm already not feeling good or feeling bad, and I'm paraphrasing, by the way, he's like, and I look at that, he's like, I don't feel good about, like, my life. He's like, it's not helping me in any way, shape, or form. And he went on to talk about, like, the idea of failure and just not getting to in your head and always believing in how he... People, stories of failure and people that don't succeed resonate far more with him because he's done that thousands of times in his life, more so than he's like, you're looking at me and it's like, oh, he's a Super Bowl champ. He's like, but 
it's all of those times leading up to this to get here. You yeah. know what I mean? That it's like, you can't be discouraged. So it was an interesting thought. I was more interested in the idea of social media as poison, which people have talked about in the past, but how do you guys sort of frame that stuff? People's sort of like representation of their life on Instagram well, or social media. It's interesting. Cause I, uh, participated in this series called uh, Juno masterclass, which is sort of a mentorship for young bands that the Juno committee or the Juno awards put on. And, you know, I just, I helped pick the winners and I spent an evening with like the three acts that, that won. And just, you dog, <laughs> <laughs> there was candles and pizza. <laughs> um, but, um, one of the things I talked about, I was like, one of the things you all should do is anybody you follow, especially bands, because this sort of pertains to your career and how you think about yourself. Anybody that you follow that gives you anxiety or makes you feel like you're not good enough or that just generally bums you out, just unfollow because whatever you're watching or whatever you're looking at on their Instagram feed is just one representation of their life. And so, because this is what I've done, I don't follow any bands um, because if I you see- You don't follow the killers? I don't even follow the killers. Whoa. Yeah. No, I mean, because I just know that every time I see a band that's like playing to a lot of people or they got a, this festival, we didn't get this festival- I just get this really ugly side of me comes out where I get really jealous and petty. And, and ultimately, it's just very distracting from what you actually have to do to succeed, which is work. Because uh, as soon as you get consumed and carried away with being jealous of somebody, somebody else's success or their life, then it's just a distraction. It, like To me, it's not motivating at all. It's just depressing. Mm -hmm. So you just got to really find, and this is just for me personally. I mean, maybe some people see what another band does and it's like really positive and motivating because I want to do that one day and it's awesome. But for me at least, uh, I have other ways that I get really pumped up and fired up and motivated. And it's not usually some idealized Instagram version of somebody else's life. Mm. If that makes sense. The thing that annoys me about social media is less like me getting jealous or annoyed it is just, I have no attention span. So I'm constantly looking at my phone every three seconds. And if I don't have my phone and it's not near me, I get anxiety because I feel like I'm missing out on something that I don't even give a shit about. Yeah. And I used to, um, I used to be more like uh, jealous or envious if I saw someone doing something that I wanted to do. Or if I was doing a post, I think I'd have to make it like kind of funny or kind of snarky or something like that. Like I, I think I'd have to make my captions cool. Yeah. But now I kind of, I don't, when someone's doing well, I actually feel good about it. And when I'm doing a caption, I'll just like spend two seconds and I'll either do a, an emoji or I'll say exactly what I'm doing. Whereas before I used to like try to craft these messages that I thought were funny, which were just like came off as more negative, cool mm -hmm. than anything else. But yeah, the, the main thing is I have no attention span and that's what I'm trying to work on. Mike? Well, I, I mean, I think it's like interesting the idea you'd think by now, cause everyone's been talking about, Oh, why is Facebook so successful? Well, it's like, it's a free website for yourself to like sort of weirdly promote whatever that is your life. You know, not necessarily because it's like, it's not, not, people don't have stuff to sell, but if you went to high school with people and then it's like a couple years later, it's like, oh, just bought our first house. It's like this weird updated website of yourself yeah. with the feed that is like curated very carefully. I feel, the reason I say this, because I feel like we've all known this for a long time, but I don't think the knowledge of that changes the fact that people do look at other people's posts and start think comparing, you know, like keeping up with the Joneses or going like, oh, I wish my life was there. But we all know intelligently, it's like, well, that's just like one representation. Like, But it's still easy to get fooled by it. 
and and get carried away in, in the um, fronting. And and participating. And we participate. all, all usually right. post the best moments. Like I, you know, it's like it's rare that I some. I think I heard a comedian make a joke. It's like, oh, they're never they never post the part where they're fighting on their wonderful vacation in Italy and they're bitching about you know. Yeah. Oh, we've been on the road for ten hours. Like, where was the turn? Like, yeah, yeah. You never see that on on Instagram, which is the reality of most situations. Yeah. I think. Um, another. Well, it started making me think too about just like materialism and the things that we post. And I was talking to my sister-in-law, Stevie, last week. Danica and I were talking to her, and she's reading this book on um, the idea of accumulating experiences over things. Mm, yeah. So it, the idea is it's like a lot of people, if you have a lot of money, it's like, oh, I want to buy a Porsche or I want to buy the best Nike shoes or like great clothes because those things make you feel good. But those things actually don't really contribute to anything down the road um, in, in a sort of significant way. Whereas it's like, like me you know, stretching a bit to buy raps tickets, like my one fourth raps tickets, like it is a thing, but it's also an experience I'm buying, right? I'm going to every one of those games with one of my friends and it's like, I'm remembering those moments as opposed to, but I can't take it with me. No, but that's okay though. I mean that those, those are, are the most valuable. And, and those are things that sort of shape you the most, whether it's a, you know, a Raptors game or traveling or whatever, just like experiences, which yeah, buying, yeah, as we say, buying some shoes doesn't shape you in any way. I feel like I've, but I feel like when she was saying that, I was like, it resonated because I feel like I've always lived, like I've never bought fancy clothes. Mm -hmm. I've never cared about having like a, a cool car. Like I don't, mm -hmm. material things have never interested me. I've always been in like, we're going to go to Detroit for Max's birthday. Like, fuck yeah, sign me up. Yeah. That stuff's always gotten me way more excited. Where do you guys fall on that spectrum? I'm not materialistic at all. Like I don't, care where I live. I don't care what I drive. I prefer not to drive. <laughs> I, and um, if I, the thing that would humiliate me the most is if I had a really nice car. Because <laughs> I feel like people would always be staring at me when I, like I, when I see a guy going down in like a Lambo, everyone on the street, especially men I find, they stare at you and it's just, I'd be like, oh my God, like they'd expect me to drive well and all this. So I like having like kind of shitty things. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't but really. I'm when I, when I was younger, I definitely cared about clothes and looking good just to attract babes. But now I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you checked out. <laughs> All right, this podcast is brought to you by the sanctity of marriage and uh, <laughs> always trying to improve yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean that's pretty much it for me. Anything else been going on, guys? I mean, I, I know in the dessert we're going to get to a, 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 yeah. a little something something, Shane. Well, uh, people were. It was on my mind, and people were commenting in. Uh, the Instagram post we just did recently, like people were like, where's the rap battle? Why don't you put the rap battle up? And I was telling someone that, uh, you know, the, our legal team would, wouldn't allow it because we used a, a track that uh, wasn't licensed. Yeah, we used a Biggie Smalls track. Yeah, I think we could have just run it and hope that we didn't get sued. But I know I, you but voted for that. Yeah, yeah. 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 But if we, if we got sued, would you have put in your own money to clear sure. it? Get out! Well, how much would it cost? Maybe like about five hundred thousand dollars. No, they I'm wouldn't sue for that much. If I it was fifty G's, what would you do? Uh, of course, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we I, probably would have had to pay like the eight hundred bucks for the like rights to use it after, like posthumously. Five grand? Would you be cool with it? No. All right. <laughs> And that's why you guys didn't hear uh, the rap battle on last week's episode live with Catherine Reitman. But to remedy that, uh, Shane has a little something uh, cooking in the dessert, which, again, like always, Max and I did not know what he was going to do uh, when it started. But Yeah, but it was, it was something. That's a tease for that. But I think the impetus was that you were a little concerned that you felt other people thought the nut won the rap battle. Well, because, you know, um, like Kai Downey and uh, Jeff... 
they all came up to me after the show. They're like, oh, don't let anyone tell you you didn't win that rap battle because you did. It's your Ottawa boys. And then we had a guy at work. Uh, he, he told me he thought I was the best uh, during it, but I think he meant funniest, maybe not best rapper. But I guess some Champagne boys were saying that Birchall won. Mm. I, I heard people say the nut won. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe... Um, I don't know. I, I messaged Webmaster Dan. I was like, hey, can we put a poll up on Instagram and ask people who won the rap battle? And he said, oh, I, th- I thought it ended perfectly with it not being about who won, but just ended <laughs> being about love, right? Because Birchall and I ended up kissing each other. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, Dan, you're right. But I thought secretly once the episode's released, people will hear the rap battle. And then they can judge for themselves, but now that's never going to be released. That's true. So this the dessert is about that issue. But who did you think won, Max? Um, Honestly, like I think Virgil won. Why? Because his flow is better. Well, how is his flow better? <laughs> you asked me a question. I gave you an answer, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going to get into it. Okay, but mine was supposed to be kind of funny. Like, oh, you made me mad. Now I'm sad. Like doing yeah. rudimentary rhymes. He wanted every rhyme to be like a home run out of the park thing, which and came he, off he's very good fake. Okay, really? I thought it was fine. The Jonah Hill line wasn't the best line of the night. <laughs> You're Settle. telling me that wasn't the best line of the night. Um, get out of here. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Who's the interview? Sheepdogs? Yeah, we got the Sheepdogs coming up. Hey, here one, on one quick thing before yeah, we get to me. that. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out and. Um, so I went to a basketball game on Sunday. You guys were at this game, too. That's right, yeah. Uh, you guys oh, were yeah. insta-storing it with uh, a fellow named Ron Foxcroft, and uh, he is a Hamilton guy and Burlington, and he invited me to the game. And sports fans may know him as the guy who invented the Fox 40 whistle. Fox 40 whistle. And uh, Fox 40 whistle is the industry standard. I asked him, are there any competitors in the whistle game? He said, no, there literally isn't. And so every NBA game for the last 30 years has been a Fox 40 whistle. Every NCAA game, every league around the world uses this whistle. They have like 14 different models. They sell it at like 100 different countries. And he invented it. So he's, he's like the head of the whistle empire. He is, because he was a basketball ref. And he realized that the old P whistles did not weren't loud enough in a in a loud gym. So he hired some engineers and they perfected this whistle where you can blow in and it gets super loud. And sometimes the ball would get stuck in yeah, those whistles. That's what yeah. happened. That 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 that's that was the impetus for developing this new thing. Necessity is the mother of invention. That's right. So this guy's a fascinating guy. A quick story about Ron. He owns Fox 40, also owns Fluke Transportation. If it's not on time, it's a fluke. It's a trucking company. And he also was a ref for like 30 years. He did MJ's first game at North Carolina. So so I got to go to the game with him and I was like, what's LeBron like? What's MJ like? He must have stories for days. Oh, he knows every single person. Anyway, he's one of these guys, you know, when you meet someone uh, who sort of reaffirms your biases or like, and, and so I was like, so how do you, like, are you a logistics like expert? Like, cause trucking is a lot of logistics. He's like, oh no, I don't know anything about that. I just hire really smart people. I'm like, do you know anything about like engineering with the whistles? He's like, oh no, I don't know anything <laughs> about that. And he was just like, oh, I, I don't know anything. I just, I just, I just good at hiring, man. Just hire guys and to he's, execute. He, he's, so he didn't invent the whistle. He hired a guy who to invent the whistle. Well, he for came him up with the idea. And then he to just hire the hired. guy to know. So him. Shane, yeah. you always accuse me of not being able to do anything. Del- delegate, I can't <laughs> Which do anything either. <laughs> Which is very true. But anyway, meeting Ron and this guy's a multimillionaire. I'm like a hundred times over. He doesn't know how to do anything. Delegates. And so I, I was feeling really good about myself. You, you were looking at a future version of yourself, potentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah big time. And, um, and, the, and the thing about Ron is he is 
couldn't be nicer. He's like he's such a sweet guy. So I told him we were going to tour the UK. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, his wife was there. And he's like, oh, you're the guys are going to the UK. We met the queen last time. Oh, my goodness. Oh, hey, guys, you, hey, Max, you got to meet her. She loves the whistle. You, Whenever <laughs> she needs some crumpets or anything, she blows the whistle and the staff comes running. That's right. She, she's a big fan of the Fox Sport. But he's like, yeah, you got to meet her when you're over there. You, you got to say hi. As if we could just go knock yeah, on Buckingham <laughs> Palace. But he, but, but he wasn't even saying it sarcastically. He was just like, he's just a guy who's just like full of sort of optimism and just like he's crazy enough to think that he could work literally three jobs at the age of 74. Do you think his Instagram account's unbearable, though? <laughs> no, he doesn't have Instagram. <laughs> him and the Queen. Yeah, him again. Shashevsky, him and Calipari. Yeah, so anyway, shout out to Ron Foxcroft. Shout inspiring to, guy. Yeah, get us in a room with him. I want to hang out with the... Oh, my God, he'd be the best on the podcast. I just want basketball stories. Oh, he, Didn't he, he write a book or something? Uh, no, there's a documentary made about him called Million Dollar Genius. Wow. <laughs> Did he come up with that title? Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, well, he sounds like an awesome dude. Yeah, sweet dude. All right. Well, guys, we got to get to the sheepdogs. Sheepdog and dog. Got to say, it's been nice talking with you guys. I feel like we haven't done this in a while. I know. It's, it's been so really busy. Nice. I know. Yeah. Uh, and we got a lot of great interviews coming up. Are we yeah. teasing any shit or no. we just, no. Nope. People will get no it. Yeah. We got four this week. But. Before we get to those, we're going to get to the Sheepdogs, who we did this interview a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, I believe they're still on the road. They got a new record that just dropped? That's right. They absolutely have a new record. Uh, that just Shaggy dropped. hair still? No. I think it's hair. Yeah, cleaned cut. up a little bit. Cleaned yeah, up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the truth is, I've never... Um, it's funny because it's like, I think with like a band like the Sheepdogs, who you guys know, yeah. and like when we were in a band, we all kind of orbited around the same time. Like we crossed paths, even played some bills, but I'd never actually talked to these guys. Yeah. So I actually didn't know really what to expect. And I really enjoyed hanging out with these guys. Like You're just smart dude. Smart. Ryan's smart dude. Yeah. Sam. Good yeah. dudes, man. And uh, we played with the Sheepdogs in two, 2008 in Regina. They were like first on. And uh, and then of course they had their big break, which I'm sure we get to in the interview. Yeah. And um, but they've really made an awesome career. Like uh, Ewan's a, a workhorse, and he is uh, very, uh, you know, he's a student of that era of rock and roll, and it really comes through in that music. Absolutely. Want to get to the sheepdogs? Let's do it. Guys gonna have to talk into the mic. Yep, sure. One, two, three. Oh yeah, these are great levels. We're golden. So you guys know I do this podcast with Max from Arkells, yeah. and you guys know him, of course. And uh, I wanted to start. Uh, you know, he talks a lot about whenever you go out and do like a an album cycle and you're doing press. There's kind of this, um, I think, uh, expectation to be able to like talk about the album, or there needs to be a story behind the album. Like, yeah. oh yeah, it's kind of this thing for some. It's like because sometimes people just want to make 17 songs, and there is no grand story. Not to say there isn't one here, but how much do you guys frame, I guess, thinking about what's the story of the album going to be when you're going out and doing these kind of conversations? Uh, well, probably not enough because there's such an <laughs> emphasis put on it. I, I think it has some, it speaks to uh, the way that journalists or, or media people talk about music. And I don't think that they think about music in terms of sounds and like what just, you know, like it's always done in terms of like the story of the band and the biography and the, yeah. like, client, you know, and if there's like an easy story, then they're all over that, you know, like, especially if it ties into like, you know, a hot topic, if it's like, you know, some kind of like discrimination or overcoming adversity or those, you know, whatever the topics of the day are. But, mm-hmm. 
yeah, I don't, I don't, I think there's like a disconnect between like music writing or music journalism and like actually just like talking about music. And if you like go back and read old Rolling Stones from like sixties or like cream magazine that like that Lester Bangs dude, yeah, who wrote, who's an amazing writer, you know, they actually were like digging into the music a little more. Right. I think we're in like at a point in our society too, where everything is about like a narrative. I mean, even to just like, you know, a friend of mine from Saskatoon who has 200 followers on Instagram is doing the like, Hey guys, like, uh, you know, Instagram stories is all about like creating a narrative even for mm. yourself. So I think that's kind of crossed over into everything where it's <laughs> hey like, guys, I like the classic, <laughs> Hey guys, but no, but it's a funny thing. Like, like everything, everything is about like creating even a narrative for yourself as an individual to your friends who you see on a regular basis. Like you're not talking to anyone else aside from the people you see out in the city every day, but it's about like trying to make everything seem more grandiose or more interesting than it actually is. And I think that's kind of crossed into every facet of our society because it's all about just being interesting every time, yeah. every point. So it's kind of a weird thing where we, we, we consume things so quickly. And so I think anything you can grab onto that makes it an interesting point, which is funny because like you had said, journalism has gotten to the point where it has been all about we need to, we need to find a story. We need to do that. What's so the it, hook? I mean, it was hook. So it's yeah. funny because we always joke about that. I mean, the, the, our new record is called Changing Colors yeah. and everyone immediately grabs onto that. Does this mean it's changed? Is like, are the colors changing? And it's like, well, you know, we threw around about like 15. It's a cool name. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool name. It worked. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it, it, it has, it's, it, but it is something we talked about because it's like, oh, that would be a good name because it does kind of like represent and it's something we could talk about. And so a lot of times that narrative kind of evolves as you start having conversations with people about it when you kind of start rolling things out and a narrative kind of seems to kind of take place because you end up kind of trying to justify the name and the story behind making the record or whatever. Well, do you think it, it changed? Do you think we've changed the way that we consume now? So like for the listeners or even for you guys as listeners of other music, does it enhance the experience of listening to the music by having a narrative or a hook or knowing a story behind maybe how something was made? Or do you guys still like to consume just as it is? I personally am not that in narrative driven. Like I love a, I, I like what my ears tell me with music. Mm. Um, and then if I love the music and then the, I find out there's a cool story after that, will maybe make it more interesting. And it's a fun anecdote to tell people when I'm showing them the song. But uh, I'm, I've, I mean, I always think of Roger Ebert had a great line when he talked about movies where they, if, if it was like not a very good movie, but they had the based on a true story, he'd always go make up something more interesting. Ha. So I always think about like, I, I want the I want quality. I don't need it to be dressed up with a nice story, but I totally recognize that I might be in the minority with that kind of that sort sure. of mindset. But actually, I think Max is pretty good at like working with the. I think like the Arkells are pretty like good at like sort of noticing things, these things and then working with them. I think understanding the paradigm and, absolutely and totally yeah. yeah. And they're like kind of masters at working with it. Um, you mentioned Roger Ebert. He has another great quote that I always liked where he, he talks about movies and, and he says, it's not what a movie is about. It's how it's about it. So people are like, Oh, I don't like horror movies or rom-coms or shit. It's like, he's like, it, it's never about that. It's like, is it a really well done sort of thing, regardless of genre? It rises above the genre. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, this uh, record has 17 songs which is a lot for a modern record. Was that <laughs> Unless uh, it's a hip hop record. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. Do you like, was that a difficult, I guess my question would be when it comes to sort of putting out a record and talking to the label and all that sort of thing, are they like, Whoa, fellas, 17 songs. Or are you guys basically like, no, no, this is what we're doing. And like, was it a difficult sell? I don't think it was a difficult sell. I think that, you know, they've come accustomed to their last record had 17 songs yep. as well. Um, 
I think they would have something to say maybe if they didn't feel, uh, you know, that it was, it could, there was certain songs to be cut or whatever, but we went into the idea of, we just worked on this record for like six months and we just tried as many things as we could. And not everything we did made it, not everything we did even got finished, but a lot of it was just, we'll put this together and it kind of took shape and it made sense. You know, it's a, a double sided record and then a, a single side, uh, that's a medley that ends the, you know, the last six songs, of the record all flow together and it's a medley and they're short songs that kind of flow in and out ah, okay. of each other. Um, as long, I think as long as there's, you know, some workable singles in the mix that they can then take to radio and like, or for promo and that kind of thing, yeah. then I think, uh, this is just my theory, but I think after that, they don't care what else, whatever else is on the record. As long as there's like two to three single so they can work. Yeah, you know? give us something to work with or exactly, whatever. Yeah. You talk about the hip-hop thing, I and mean, we've talked about this. I mean, some of those albums have like 40 songs and skits yeah. or whatever, and Makes nowadays, like with <laughs> the way... machine you know, messages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as tracks, yeah, yeah 100%. <laughs> but people, you know, people want to have as much music as possible, and so you could put, you know, on, on, you know, streaming services, you can have, you know, someone can hear a single that's maybe on a playlist, and then be like, whoa, there's 17 more songs and they can really get into it. It's like nice to have more for people to listen to, more, you know, you want to grab people's attention as much as possible too. Yeah. Um, when you guys, I guess, is this one a case where you sort of write 50 and you you chisel it down to 17 or do you feel like ultimately you kind of went with, with what you had? I think we did about um, 19 songs and we cut one and didn't finish another one and that was all we could cut. But... Uh, yeah, I don't know. We there's lots of songs floating around, but just I don't know. I don't really know how we got there. We just sort of fumbled our way through it. And yeah, then, and then eventually we're like, all right, we're gonna stop, and this is the album. So it's it's not really a science. It's an art, I guess. But there are elements of sort of science to it. But. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the uh, the Sheep Life music promo <laughs> that you guys have on the website right now, uh, and you guys have done like comedic videos and things like that. Do those ideas come from you guys directly or do you have like a, a director you prefer to work with? Like where does the creative come from on the, the, the promo side? And shit well, actually, like Ryan made that video. Yeah, I do. All oh, really? Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, no, I... So, I mean, that, I, it, all the ideas usually do come from us. I mean, some of the videos we have worked with friends. I mean, there's like the way it is video we did with like comedian friends from LA that like, you know, we were kind of all about like trying to like, you know, like there's another video that uses action figures that a friend of ours who was a photographer, you know, we tried working with other people that maybe just aren't specifically video directors, but with a lot of this stuff, like. I took on, like, I made our, all the video stuff that we've put out. I've done all of that. And so the idea behind, like, the Sheep Life music thing yeah. was, like, we sit in hotel rooms and drink beers and watch those old, like, infomercials, like, late at night. And so one night we're like, it'd be really funny to do one of these of our own. So put it all together. And we registered the 800 number. Like, I set it up. So, like, <laughs> you can call that number and you can listen to some of the songs and you can go through and, uh, and order the record. And we convinced our friend, who's our designer friend, who does, like, all our album design, uh, who lives in LA, we convinced him to answer the phone. So when we release that, you know, I get a shit ton of calls of people calling and not thinking that someone would actually pick up. Uh, cause we had the, the classic, like if you order now, you get Egg, this course, changing yeah. colors mug. And so, yeah, but all that stuff, you know, uh, I, I, I put together cause it's, it's just fun to like come up with that stuff and, and execute it within your camp. Cause there's a certain aesthetic that 
you know, you're, you like, and trying to explain it to somebody sometimes can be a little difficult or, you know, doing it. So I kind of took that stuff on and we, we all do it together, but I mean, I kind of do the, uh, all the, the putting that together and getting people to film it and I edit it and, and everything like oh, that. Oh man, so, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's cause it's, it is difficult to sometimes try and explain a vision or, or get somebody to do it. And it's just easier, you know, like my day job is I like write and direct commercials and then we do this thing on the side. Yeah. But, um, when I, I was also in a band before and all of our videos, like I, I did the treatments just because I found it was very difficult to try and like, cause you know, you go to these, the treatments are terrible that you get from these directors. <laughs> I wasn't going to go, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. That's the thing. They're horrible. They and, are. You know, they used to have much factor. I think they still have it maybe for another couple and months. It's, yeah, it's pretty much. And then you kind of go to these, these directing houses and then you get all these proposals in and you're just going, I, what? Like, well, and the classic thing too is like you get a proposal and then you're like, okay, I guess this is the best idea. And then they come back and they're like, okay, well, we need like twenty more thousand dollars to yeah, do it. Yeah. And so like with all this stuff, I mean, like for the Time Life uh, or Sheep Life <laughs> commercial, we went to this weird space in Hamilton that had a green screen stage and like a sound stage thing, and it was like this really ramshackle thing, but it was super cheap. And the guy that ran it was just like, go for it. And it was like everything was done very cheap and just like exactly. I wanted and we had fun with it and it wasn't like this big to do but everything kind of becomes like a big you know craft services of and course. all these different people working and you're like and then in the end product you're kind of like oh man like we probably would have done that differently yeah. so. and everything everything is always like 70s related with us like so it's always mm. just like a we'll put you in a 70s car and then yeah, they would do the most obvious. Hippie girls are hanging with you, and it's always like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you guys ever actually ordered one of those Time Life things when you're a little too drunk? And Midnight Special DVDs, I think Sam has them. Yeah. That's... They're pretty good. Yeah. It's like, you know, Bill Cosby with a cigar introducing Steely Dan and stuff. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, they always have the uh, the roasts is another one that they oh, always yeah, have. You know, the Dean Martin roasts. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I like those. Yeah. <laughs> In that Onion movie, there's that great fake roast commercial, which I think is like, have you ever seen that? There's like, no. The Onion has a movie, which is not very Love popular, the Onion. But there's like, it's not very good, but there's the one thing, you find it online, where it's like this fake uh, roast, like an infomercial for a roast DVD, which is like, the, it's like making fun of the Dean Martin roast. Yeah. It's, it's a classic. <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, we're sitting in uh, Greg Stewart's office and there's this giant poster of you guys on the cover of Rolling Stone here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so my question would be, you know, all of us that have been in band stuff, there's a million like talented guys that I'm sure that you guys like came up with and play with um, that don't get an opportunity like that. When you get an opportunity like that, is it... Is it sort of the best thing that ever happens? Is it a burden? How do you guys frame, you know, something like that that sort of jets you ahead of everybody and sort of kickstarts a wider sort of recognition and career? Well, I mean, that whole thing happened at a time where we'd been a band for seven years. Yeah. And it was a really big boost to what we were doing. Obviously, it put us in the spotlight. Um, you know, there's certain things about it. I mean, they get associated with it. A lot of people, I think, still to this day, kind of think we're this band that was, like, put together to win this contest or something like that. So, so much of what, you know, we've done afterwards has been the idea that we're going to, like, put out, constantly be putting out music, touring, playing, like, the best live shows sure. we can. And it's the idea of, like, no, actually, we were a band for a very long time before this, and we want to continue to be a better band. There's certain things about it maybe are burning the sense that, like, we're very thankful for it, but it is like we get associated with this contest band, but it probably would have been better if we had like gotten all the way to the end of that competition and then lost it. Uh, interesting. Or something. Yeah, the old second place the thing. Second place. Yeah. The, Mind you, the girl that got second place didn't do anything. Yeah, but she sucked. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's good. I think there's like a bit of uh, I think a lot of people were like, well, who the hell are these guys and why do they have this cover for, you know, kind of a, a 
superficial reason, you know, like to win a contest and that, of course, that yeah. kind of thing. So um, I think we spent some time, you know, just buckling down afterwards, buckling down and just doing the hard, a lot of the hard touring and everything to, uh, con- you know, continuing to hard, tour hard to sort of just show people that we weren't just some goofy contest winners or something like that. But, you know, we'd be lying if we said it wasn't a huge thing because it just gave us a huge spotlight, uh, at least in Canada it did. I, I, it's, you know, America, we're still, you know, hitting the pavement pretty hard and trying yeah. to build it up. But, uh, you know, it was a pretty interesting experience, pretty surreal. And, I mean, if, say, that doesn't go down, still touring, still doing the same thing? Like, life, do you think life would be much different now if that doesn't happen? Yeah, it would be. We, I mean, we were uh, running an operation that basically had, like, you know, we had, like, a $7,500 uh, you know, line of credit from the, from a bank that we would like max out every tour, mm-hmm. come back. And then we would like organize like our own show at a hall and sell all the beer and make money off of that to pay down our debt. And like, so we're running this really kind of like small time business operation, which actually is good. Cause it taught us a lot of things about how to like actually run a, ba- a band, yeah, which are very valuable. Um, but I don't know how much longer we would have continued to do that because I mean, I have so many friends that were in bands that, you know, they tour hard and they don't make any money Yeah, and that just, you know, that doesn't last. Like you just go, you know, enough of this, I'm going to go do something else. And, uh, so I don't know that without us, you know, cause that the, con- the popularity from that just put us into a level where we were starting to sell tickets and stuff. So if we hadn't had that, I think we could have, you know, definitely built up something like we, we could see that like in Winnipeg, you know, we could sell out a small theater. Yeah. Our hometown, Saskatoon, we would do really well. We were probably starting to get a few people out to shows, you know, playing the Dakota Tavern and a couple nights, you know, every few months. And But, you know, that's such a slow build, and I don't know if we would have been able to stay the course. Mm-hmm. It's tough being broke. and uh, Absolutely. Especially being in Saskatchewan, because every time you want to go somewhere, it means you have to drive forever, and which costs money. And it's a, it, was, it was a time when it was like, you know, we were – We've been doing it for seven years. Yeah. We were in like our mid to late twenties and you start getting that point where you're like, you know, I love music. I love playing music with these guys, but you know, maybe I start, we start just doing that where we just play around town and figure something else out. Cause it's, it is very difficult when you, your job that you have involves you needing to be like, okay, I'm going to leave for three weeks or a month and then come back. And it's hard to kind of maintain both sides at the same time. And we worked our jobs up until we were still technically employed when we were like the cover thing came out. So it was like, I, I already lost my lost job. <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway, it, it, you know, I was just a bartender. So it yeah. didn't matter. But it was, it were was you, were you let go? Yeah. Well, cause I'd always leave and then like, they just give other people shifts and yeah, I yeah, came exactly. back and be like, Hey, can I get a shift? And no, you're done. <laughs> you're done, bud. <laughs> Well, something like that uh, is I was telling you, uh, I asked Sam Roberts about this and he'd taken a bit of time. You know, he was sort of, like you said, mid, late 20s. He'd been touring and doing a bunch of stuff. And something like that is like, or like award recognition. It's like legitimizing in the eyes of everybody that's been seeing you do it for seven years. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, this is like a tangible thing. And then you, it can allow you to sort of earn some money, which is honestly probably the, the hardest trick to pull off in any sort sure. of band, you know? Um, I guess... You know, you guys are going on tour 21 dates. Is that what it is? All across North America? Yeah, I think it might it's just, be a few yeah, it's more. Just, yeah, it's just, it's just that's a Canadian tour with, oh, a, so with we, a couple of little American stops on the way. But yeah. there'll be more like American tour and Europe tour coming up. Very cool. And the album's out in February, February yep. 2nd. Yep. Feb sec. Are you guys, I mean, like you said, you're doing it seven years before, you know, the cover. And then now it's been what? 
five years since that? I don't even know. Time it was 2011. So yeah. Almost seven, yeah. yeah. Almost seven. So. It's well. Yeah. Being on the road that long, uh, what do you still like about it? And, and what do you sort of find difficult about it? Um, well, you know, it's it's kind of an adventure. You know, your new town every day is exciting in a, in a sense. And, uh, you know, we a lot of us, we try to find, you know, rec, you know whether it's a record store or a vintage store or, you know, just like what's the best plate of food in town. Like all those kind of things are like still interesting and fun. Uh, you know, we got old friends in a lot of these towns as well. Yeah. Whatever the local color is, that's interesting to us. I mean, I really miss, uh, you know, food is a big thing for me. And so I, when I go on the road, I really miss like home cooking just because you eat out all the time and it just wears you down or you eat rider food and you just kind of miss like, you know, chopping up a bunch of onions and garlic and sauteing it and making a stew or something like that. Like I, I miss <laughs> like the, 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 you know, the home cooking. That's for me, at least. Yeah, for sure. I think there's like, obviously, as you know, get more successful, it's, you know, have people working for you. We have a bus for these Canadian shows and the, the tough parts of touring where, you know, the driving and like dealing with weather and the stress of like finding the venue, loading in. I mean, all those kind of things have been cut out. So it's nice that we can kind of just focus on making sure the show's good. Yeah. So that's that, that's a uh, plus. I mean, it still is tiring and there's a lot of extra added things that are part of our day that maybe weren't all good things. But, um, you know, I think like... The, the the tough part is that when you're when you're away for a long time, you kind of get accustomed to being away. But you, I, I just miss like comforts of being at home and just waking up in the morning and not having, you know, seven other people around me and and being able to just like go to my coffee shop and get a coffee or something like that. I mean, that kind of stuff is you, you miss that, you know, just kind of just being alone. I mean, it's always funny when I, there's always like a time when I wake up after tour and I'm in my bed at home, but I have this feeling like, oh God, okay, what do I have to do today? And maybe I went out drinking the night before. I'm like, oh God, I'm like my voice is rough and do I have to sing like a radio thing today? And then I'm like, oh no, I actually have nothing to do. But there's always that moment where it's still kind of in your brain because you're kind of every day becomes the same a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you guys, I think for a lot of people, you guys really sort of specialize in a certain sort of era and style of rock music, especially the way that like you're viewed. Is there one record, you know, from your influential years uh, that you guys would consider the most important, like something that stands out? You know, a lot of people are like, oh, man, Sgt. Pepper is the greatest album of all time. Do you guys have a specific album by any act that you guys are like, shit, that's the one? No, not not just one. I mean, there's just there's so much, but like certainly bands, you know, like Beatles and Creedence and Zeppelin and. Crosby, Stills, Nash and stuff. Like, we were just, you know, back in 2004 when we started our band, we were, like, 19 years old and we were, you know, university students, some of us, I guess, and, and we were, like, hanging out and, and uh, you know, Friday night would roll around and we wanted to drink beers and listen to that kind of music. Mm. But, like, you know, that's 2004, so, like, if you went to a bar, the band wouldn't be playing that. They'd be playing, like, I don't know, like, still in Saskatoon for some reason. There'd be a lot of, like sort of ska music or like weird touring acts from Calgary and stuff. Like, I don't know what, <laughs> but like it just, we weren't hearing like what we wanted to hear. Like, sure. like, I mean, there was some cool bands from America at that time that we liked, but so I think we just were like, well, why don't we make this music? Like, it seems like a lot of our pals, you know, still like guitar rock and like sort of old traditional melodies and things like that. And, and so it was just sort of like, you know, if you don't see in society, what, you want maybe you got to go make it kind of thing yeah yeah i think the big thing we were like 
not necessarily conscious of, but it's like there's a lot of bands that do not a lot, but bands that do like kind of like throwback kind of sounding stuff. Often like just pick one thing and they really focus on it, uh, you know. And I think that we've always been mindful of like we just listen to all this different type of music from different genres from that era or different eras, and it kind of all bleeds into to one thing. So it's not like let's make a song that sounds like the immigrant song. Yeah. In this one, it's more like maybe that will be in the back of your head, but other songs will be in there mixing those elements, trying to make it definitely being conscious of trying to make it a little bit more organic and real and not just trying to directly emulate a specific band. Cause I think it's like a natural soup of elements that go into yeah. creating the music. Well, like there was like back in 2004, kind of on the heels of like sort of this sort of garage rock, like, you know, vines, hives, yeah, strokes of type of thing. There was a lot of like, interest in those bands and I remember there were bands coming out that were like oh this band sounds exactly like the Beatles or this band sounds like Zeppelin and it was sort of like really easy to kind of pinpoint them and of course if you sound like the Beatles or you sound like Zeppelin you're going to sound like a pale imitation because those bands are so great but like I think we always sort of strove to like steal evenly from every from a bunch of different bands yeah. and then, but then if you mash it up into your own you know bula base then it's your it's your own thing and I'm sure there's people that would say the opposite, but it's also funny when we meet people after shows and people often be like, you know what band you sound exactly like? And they'll be like, man, the Marshall Tucker band. It's like, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever listened to the Marshall Tucker band, but sure. I think for him, yeah. that's cool because for him, that's the band that he loves. And for him to compare it, us to and that, that's it's very cool. Hearing. But it's forever. It's like every once in a while, it's like very, you know, you guys remind me of the screaming trees. It's like, I've never listened to screaming trees. <laughs> Where Whoever you want us to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, you guys mentioned that, you know, you've been in a band for the seven, like now what's been now, like 14 years, 14 years, almost. Do you guys tend to think long-term? Like, do you go, Hey, like in another 10 years, we want to be doing this. Or you sort of live by the moment, like, Hey, this is the music we're making. This is what we're putting out at this time. Sort of a record that speaks to us and what we're doing. Um, or, or do you think about, hey, this is where we want to be in a bit? And if so, what do you guys kind of want for the future as, as we wrap up? I think it's kind of a weird thing when, I think this is probably anything in the entertainment business, but in like the music where you're perpetually always thinking forward, it's always like, yeah. this is coming out, this tour is happening, and you often are not like living in the moment because you're forever kind of thinking. And I think that it's important to, to kind of scale it back. You know, when it comes to making a record, it's like, focusing on what you're doing on that day or on that song and, and not getting too carried away because you end up being like, you're not enjoying the moment because you're thinking what the next thing is. And I think it's important to kind of pull that back. I think sometimes you get lost in kind of thinking ahead. I mean, at least for myself, I'm not sure about you, but yeah, I just think about whatever album we're working on right now. And then once we're done that, uh, like where we are right now. Now I'm thinking about the next album. So <laughs> as soon as we're done, then I just go, I don't know. It always seems like as soon as we're done making one album, uh, all of a sudden I have a bunch of ideas for the next one. So it's, it's, it's just usually one album ahead, but it is true. You do get kind of trapped in this, like, especially when you tour so much and, uh, and you're so like, it's so like all encompassing. It just takes over your life and you just kind of like, forget about regular life stuff and then all of a sudden you're 33 and you're like oh maybe i should try to like formulate some kind of life for myself outside <laughs> of just playing shows and making albums yeah. so that's where i'm at that's where you're at so so do you think you'll re do you think you'll resist and stay or do you think you start to see a life after music i mean that's an interesting statement 
I think my life will always be music. Like even if this, if we weren't like doing the same schedule, like sure. I just, I'm always, I, I don't want to do anything else. And some form of music will always be the focus of my life. But I think over the last couple of years, we've been like starting to figure out, you know, personal things a little better, you know, especially like when I think back to the crazy time of 2011, like just, just the sheer amount of like alcohol I drank. Like it was just like kind of hard to like, work through the fog of life <laughs> sure <laughs> but it, like now it's it just feels like we're getting to a much more like balanced uh position yeah feels good thanks for your time guys yeah thanks for having us appreciate it welcome to the dessert i am sitting here by myself in a boardroom at 299 queen street west i'm not quite sure what shane has planned but I think any second now, he's going to be walking in uh, with Max and <laughs> I think like a surprise guest. I, I know Max has no idea what's going on. I have a vague idea. But again, you never know what's going to happen with dessert. So uh, <laughs> I guess we're about to uh, see what this thing is. What's up? How's it going? We're actually just rolling. So, yeah, we're rolling. Hey, how's, hey, what up, man? How you doing? This is the publicity the team, Louie, wow, the legend Louie. Hey, right yeah, right here. I'll sit here. I don't know if we have enough water, but if anyone wants one. <laughs> Drew, you want water? Yeah, Disturbing. Welcome to the dessert. This is, uh, we're going to let Shane take the reins on this one. And thank you guys for all coming. We're here with Max. We're the Drew Grange. And we're here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Yeah, and we have uh, Drew's publicity team in the house, which is probably the biggest entourage we've ever had. <laughs> yeah, we should have booked a bigger boardroom. There's like 50 people in here right now. And we're here with two Juno Award winners, Max Kerman, of course, of the Arkells, yeah, and hey. Drew Grange. Do you recognize this man? Cheers. Yeah, I'm um, trying to think. I recognize you. So. <laughs> from In Essence. No. What? Might from, be a little <laughs> too far back. Yeah, I'm not sure. Be, oh, okay. <laughs> you remember in essence. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, the, I, I feel like I've seen you those since, though. Yeah, I've done some a lot of solo stuff. I yeah. went solo in like 07, so. Okay, cool. I've been that, doing solo, like the solo gig for yeah. a oh, minute. Yeah, cool. Yeah, man. All right, you're you guys Toronto. are killing it, though. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> but are yeah, you man. curious as to why Drew's here? I am, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he really does look curious. Like, uh, what I'm is curious. going on? Okay, so... <laughs> As you know, we had a, a rap battle. Oh yeah! For our uh, our live show, yeah, which just there. <clears throat> but unfortunately, we couldn't get the rights cleared because the Biggie song we used is the backing track. We couldn't. Get our that. legal team wouldn't allow it. So for you listeners listening right now at home, uh, you heard our live episode which we released last week. Conspicuously missing was the rap battle, and the reason that was was because we could not clear the music, like Shane said. So if you've been looking for it, you've been wondering all week, what the fuck happened to the rap battle? That is what happened. And there was also a slap that we weren't allowed to air yeah, and, and, to get revenge. And, yeah. a, ki and a kiss, a very romantic kiss. And, yeah, I also kissed uh, kissed the nut. All right. <laughs> so, first, <laughs> like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> the nut is the guy's nickname. Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That doesn't yeah. help much. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a weird podcast. So, <laughs> after the rap battle, I was under the impression I had won the battle. Okay. But... People kept coming up to Mike, I guess, and telling him that I had lost the rap battle. 
And I was excited to, for people to hear it so then they could kind of judge for themselves. Mm. So I wanted the lyrics at least to be heard. So I was looking for a track that I could get cleared. Oh, okay. And then serendipitously, <laughs> Steve Sarkani from uh, McNabb High School from back in the day <laughs> contacted me and he said, I have an artist that you have to have on your podcast. And then I was like, yeah, yeah. And I kind of brushed him off like I normally do. <laughs> <laughs> but then I heard, I actually clicked the link and it was Drew. And I'm like, oh, maybe I can use one of these melodies to rap over. And then just have him maybe sing a hook on it. Oh, oh okay. You're trying to create a song. So just so you know, Drew, yeah. Max and I have no idea what's going on here. Okay. Right now. <laughs> yeah. This part so of the show, is, we're okay, in the same we're boat the same right boat, now. Yeah. 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 Like this part of the show, the dessert <laughs> no, is literally it. Shane's uh, segment. It's his thing. Okay. Yeah. And we intentionally don't want to know because it's more fun. If, exactly. If we're not, you know. I love it. In the loop. I love this right yeah, now. Yeah. So we're all in this together. Love it. Shane's driving this, this ship. Let's go. So I was looking for like the most like hip hop track he had, but most of it is like pretty, it's like R&B, R&B, mm -hmm. R&B. Right. There's this one song that I figured I could kind of rap to called Like I Do. Yeah. And <laughs> is that is that one of your favorites of yeah, your that's music? A, that's the new single that we just dropped. That's actually. the big song. That's the big record. I like it. So it's a really good track. It has an awesome chorus, but I wanted to talk to uh, Drew about potentially changing the chorus to, <laughs> to adding some lyrics that kind of put down the nut a little bit. So I was like, okay, maybe we'll do like kind of a Lonely Island style track. No. Drew's not having any. Wow. Drew said no. <laughs> There's Sorry. already artistic differences and so, we're three hello, minutes in. Yeah. So I had to have a meeting with, on Friday night, <laughs> uh, Steve set it up. I had to meet with Drew in person to kind of talk it out. And Drew and I came to an agreement, an agreement that yes. he would let me do the verses, but he refuses to change his chorus. Fair yes. enough. <laughs> right? How much negotiation was there between you there and There wasn't Shane? much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah nah. he was pretty steadfast in like, you know, not changing that. Yeah. yeah, it's a new record. You know, this is a big podcast. I'm like, yo, I want people to hear that chorus. That's yeah. right. Fair enough. You know what I mean? Standard. I'd do the same thing. <laughs> would you, exactly. would you, you do the same thing? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't let Shane push me around. Yeah, Changing shit. Changing <laughs> <laughs> shit. So we haven't rehearsed this, okay. but I've practiced on my own. <laughs> so I'm going to play the instrumental to Like I Do. Okay. And I'm going to be doing the verses. Okay. And then Drew's going to kick in with the chorus that normally happens in the song. And it might be weird, but... <laughs> it might be. <laughs> but we're going to hope... It works out. Uh, and I'm guessing where's that the, you, where's the track? Yeah, you have a I whole, have, like, musical I've section? I've been planning this, Max. Don't worry. Okay, good. I have it. Okay, are we ready, Drew? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> 105 Records. All right, here it goes. Shaney Boy, Drew yeah, Grange. Yeah. 2018. <laughs> okay, I'm a little nervous. 2018. <laughs> okay. Yo, 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 and a bottle of rum. With that bitch, you look like a bum or an asshole. I hate you more than my mole on my forehead. Yeah, I wish you were dead. Haha, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm glad you're alive. But with this next rhyme, it's gonna make you dead on the inside. You look like Jonah Hill with a beard, except you lost less weight and you look more weird. Fuck you like I do. He can't touch you like I do. 
fuck you like I do. Yeah. Amazing. He can't touch you like I do. Fuck you like I do. This is a rap battle. Are you ready for it? You're a human toilet. And here comes some shit. Actually, for you, I won't even give a crap. But I'll trade you a punch for that weak-ass slap. Uh. You come on here and you brag about your weight. Even though you only lost four pounds to date. You used to be a pig, but now you're a bore. We don't want you on our fucking podcast anymore. Yeah, fuck you like I do. Uh. He can't touch you like I do. Uh. No, no, he can't do like I do. Yeah. Can't touch you like I do. Ooh, fuck you like I do. Every time you speak, it's a brag or some lies. Yeah. The only thing I believe is that you love French fries. French fries. This is a verbal boxing match. It's not for fun. Uh. I'm Muhammad Ali, and you're the round one. They call you the nut, but it's easy to see. Ah, a better nickname would be the diarrhea. Ah. You're good at one thing. Yeah, I said it. Watching other people work and then taking all the credit. Yeah. Hit it, Drew. He can't fuck you like I do. Uh. He can't touch you like I do. Uh. No, no, he can't fuck you like I do. Yeah. Can't touch you like I do. Hey. He can't fuck you like I do. And he can't fuck you like I do. He can't touch you like I do. He can't touch you like I do. Fuck you like I do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> That was phenomenal. That's a fucking hit. Yeah, yeah. that is a hit. You got some bars. Yo. Thank you. Well, started a little shaky. Yeah. But <laughs> well, here's the best the part. Slowest rap of all time. <laughs> Drew has agreed to let that recording go on iTunes and we sell it. And all the uh, money raised goes to lupus research. And, and the nut, because he's going to be pretty hurt yeah. after that. Those bars. <laughs> the uh, that's lawsuit. amazing. So, okay. So hold on. So that amazing recording. Uh, that we heard, which was totally professional. Live off the floor, believe it or not. Yeah, live in the boardroom. <laughs> uh, we'll, we could post that on iTunes, and, and all streams and sales go toward lupus research. Yes. Yeah, yeah like that I chorus did. was amazing. Thank you. Good falsetto, man. Appreciate Jesus. <laughs> what are your socials? Uh, at Drew Grange. All right, check all out everything. Socials. Instagram, Twitter, all that all, business? Yep, at Drew Grange. So Sweet. hit me up, check me out. R&B lovers. I love it. That's yes. the best. Yes. Yeah, uh, I felt that. Uh, you felt the need to start jumping in there and saying, "I know." Well, it was a lead singer thing. You're like, "Give me a, give me the mic." We just do it. The Nutcracker, featuring Juno Award winners Drew Grange and Max Kerman of Arkells, and introducing 2018 Juno nominee Shaney Boy 69. Available on iTunes soon. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to Drew Grange for coming on with the dessert. Thank you so much to the Sheepdogs for being our featured guest. Uh, you can find us online at Mike on Much on Twitter and Instagram. 
Subscribe to the pod on iTunes. Leave a comment and ratings. That really helps the show grow. Huge thank you to Jenna Gregory and Tara Paquette, as always, for putting together the artwork. Uh, Greg Stewart, Webmaster Dan, the whole gang. Whole damn gang. Yeah. Oh, the artwork is provided by Jenna Gregory at jennadoodles.com. That is correct. Jennadoodles.com. Uh, leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. I'm not sure if you just said that. But yeah, I did it, but whatever. We're keeping it loose, baby. The Mike and Watch podcast is produced by Max Terman. I am your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. Damn.